<laughs> Y'all having a good morning this morning? Good, good. I'm glad. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I'm excited to uh, talk to you this morning. I'm always more fired up after taking a week off, and uh, it was really nice to have Steve come in and and speak last week. Didn't he do a great job talking about being passionate and um, and so I'm proud to tell you we're gonna be supporting um, Life Church of the Delaware Valley as they plant in Philadelphia and. And reach more people for Jesus, and uh, we're all about that. I'm actually going to talk about that a little bit in our message today, and uh, just excited, man! Excited to to share part three of our unstoppable series with you, and and uh, and so here's the thing: we don't talk about being unstoppable like because it's some sort of arrogant, prideful thing that we think God has just given our church. We're talking about this global movement called the church, the local church. And it's the only thing eternal on this planet that you'll ever be able to connect yourself to, give to, serve in, and be a part of that is eternal and will last forever. And, uh, and so it's the reason why Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for his church, for, for all of us who, who have a relationship with him. And, and so it's unstoppable. And, uh, and we want to make sure that we do the right things to get ourselves in alignment with the vision that God has given us for our church and for our city and for this time. And uh, if we do that... If we follow God's plan and God's will for our lives and for our church, it is an unstoppable momentum that we'll, we'll obtain here and be a part of. How many want to be a part of something like that? Yeah. Amen? <laughs> it's like, you know where you're supposed to cheer, so you just do it. But do you really? Like, do you really want to be a part of something like that? Because I do. Like, that's what keeps me... I, I literally could not sleep last night, and it wasn't even because we have a newborn. It was because I just kept going. I kept going over and over and over again, all the things that, that I wanted to share with you today, and I just kept getting more excited and more excited, and I think finally, like, three o'clock in the morning, I fell asleep just in time for my wife's alarm to go off to let her know it was time to feed our son again, and, uh, and that was it. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm not responsible for everything I say today because I am sleep-deprived, um, so... It could, I could get crazy, all right? So just give me a little bit of slack. Is that okay? All right. So, hey, two weeks from today is a big deal if you love Jesus, if you go to church. Does anybody know what day is coming up? Easter. All right, Easter Sunday. And uh, if you know anything about Easter, you know that it's, it's if, you're, if you're in ministry, there's kind of a joke that there's a certain crowd of people that you see twice a year. You see them at Easter and you see them at Christmas. And, um, and so even though that's kind of funny because there are some people that that's true for, it's also a huge opportunity for us, all right? It's a huge opportunity for, for us to make a good impression on people that, that, uh, that need Jesus, that need to find a local church to be a part of. And so here's what I want to promise you is that we're going to have a great Sunday in two weeks on Easter Sunday. And this would be a great place to bring all of your family and friends who either don't know Christ or who are looking for a local church to connect to. And I'm really excited about some of the, just the elements of our service on Easter Sunday. Our worship team, our creative guys, um, we're going to have one of the, just, you, I'm telling you, you don't want to miss the opening of service, all right? So we, we kind of have this, uh, this habit around here of everybody showing up at like 1010. And, uh, and that's cool, but I'm just telling you, if you show up at 1010 on Easter, you're going to have missed probably one of the coolest things that we've ever done, all right? So it's just going to be a really creative opening and uh, exciting opening for our service. You want to be here, all right? It's going to be cool. And the really cool part of it is it's actually going to help some people. It's going to change some lives, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. So so will you help me pray for Easter Sunday? Will you all commit to that with me? Yes, all right? And then I just want you to go crazy, man. Invite everyone. In, invite your cat and your dog. I don't care. Just Just invite 
everyone, okay? Don't bring them here unless the house broke. I don't, I don't want that. All right. But invite everyone. Easter's going to be, it's going to be a big day. All right, so I have to apologize this morning um, for this opening story that I'm going to share with you because it, it, it is a little bit crude. Um, but I was trying to go through everything and all the experiences in my life. And let me just say this real quick as well. Uh, if you, if you want to follow along with the notes and the message today, you can do that using version. If you have a smartphone um, or a tablet or, or some, an iPhone or an Android or some sort of device, all the notes are there. Or you can write them out on paper. If you see your friend, especially if they're you know, of the younger age group playing with their phone and it's not version, you have my permission to go-go gadget arm them right in the back of the head. All right, so... Um, <laughs> so, so, okay, back to my opening story. And I just I apologize if this offends you because it's a little bit gross. But it's the only way I could think of to kind of tell you what I wanted to tell you this morning. And, and so, um, how many of you, when you were younger, in your teenage years, ever went to anything like a youth camp or a youth retreat or anything like that? Anybody been a part of something? Okay. So, I grew up going to these kids' camps and youth camps through my church. And um, anytime you put a lot of teenage boys in a dorm room together with any kind of free time or limited supervision, they're going to invent things to do. Um, All those, I think this particular story was taught, this game was taught to us by an adult counselor, I'm pretty sure, Um, which is scary in its own right. But but, uh, has anybody, you, maybe you called it something different when you were, this is, I'm pretty sure ladies probably didn't play this game. This is strictly a guy thing, but we used to do this, this game called the atomic sit up. Anybody ever heard of this? Anybody know what this is? All right. So I'm going to describe it. This is the crude part. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what we would do is you would find some poor unsuspecting guy in your dorm who'd never been to, to camp or experienced this kind of thing before and this is kind of like a hazing ritual you know it's how you break someone in and make them a part of your your teenage brotherhood and uh, and um and so what you or it's just the guy that everybody wants to mess with and pick on but uh, what you would do is you would find somebody who wants to prove themselves as a strong young man and you would tell him hey, have you ever done the atomic sit-up no no i've never done the atomic sit-up Oh, you gotta you gotta show us that you got it together and do the atomic sit up. Let let somebody else somebody else is gonna show you what the atomic sit up is first. And so the the this person would be playing along and they would lay down on the floor in the sit up position, knees up, you know, arms on the chest, and then a friend would take like a towel and create a blindfold over their eyes and then kind of pin it to the floor. And then say, go. All right. And so then the guy has to sit up and he's got to overcome the force of this towel holding him to the floor. Right. But it's also blindfolding him. All right. And so the guy would go and try and he'd make it all the way up. And, and everybody would be like, oh, you did it, man. That's awesome. So then it's the other guy's turn. Right. <laughs> the victim. All right. So the victim would lay on the floor. You cover the eyes. And then before you say go, another boy would just kind of drop his shorts on the backside and and stand over him. You starting to see the picture? And and then and then he would say, go, and they'd rip the towel off and he'd sit up real quick. I told you it's crude. How how many of you need therapy? You've been the victim of an atomic sit-up. Anybody? Him and need some therapy. Joel, we need to talk, we'll talk through it tomorrow. 
We're doing them in our lead team tomorrow. We're going to do, in our lead team meeting, we're going to do atomic sit-ups at Chick-fil-A. It's going to be awesome. So 10 o'clock if you want to watch that. So I'm really sorry if that offended you. I know it's kind of gross, but, but here's, here's my point. When you can't see where you're going, bad stuff happens. In fact, a few weeks ago when we started this series, we shared a scripture from Proverbs that says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. And we talked about the original Hebrew from that verse that, that where there is no God-given supernatural picture of who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing, we all kind of get stupid. And, and I think it happens to us as Christ followers. I think it happens to us even in the way we think about church sometimes. Because we come, we come on Sunday, we enjoy the music, we enjoy the, hopefully enjoy the preaching, we, we enjoy all these different pieces and then we kind of go home and we don't really think about the fact that there's like, there's some behind the scenes stuff. And there's, there's actually reasons why certain things happen and, and the kind of culture that we're trying to create. And there's actually not a lot of stuff that happens at True Life on accident. I mean, there's a few things, but, but most of it we've kind of prayed about and thought about. And, and we're trying to create a specific kind of church and a specific kind of culture. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to share some, th- some things with you that hopefully will help us as a church body not go through life and not go through church life together with a blindfold over our eyes. Because when you're blinded and you can't see what's coming, it can end up pretty embarrassing. And that's not what we want for any of us. Are you with me so far? Is that good? Yeah. All right. Get some, I know some of you are still traumatized by the idea of an atomic sit-up. I get it. <laughs> So I think, I think a lot of times we come and go from church, but we don't really understand the, the behind-the-scenes philosophies. And, and so that's why one of the things we, you're going to hear this week, and you heard it the first week, you'll hear it again next week, this recurring theme of this Unstoppable series is we want you to know what the mission statement of our church is, why we're here, why we exist. And, and you have a chance to fill it in there in your notes. We're going to put it on the screen, but I would love it if you would just read it out loud with me. So you've got to get your big man voice going You two ladies, get your man voice going. All right, and I want you to read this out loud with me. Say, we exist to lead people to a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ and to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, that was okay, but it was kind of wimpy. So I want you to, we're going to do it again, all right? And I want you to, you got to do it with your, not your scary voice. Somebody did their, their haunted house voice. Don't do that. Just do your... Do your man voice. All right, so here we go. Ready to say, we exist to lead people to a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ and to become fully devoted followers of Christ. That, if you had to sum it up in a nutshell, why did we start True Life Church? That's it. That's our mission. That is our mission statement. We want to find people who don't know Jesus. We want to lead them to Jesus. After we lead them to Jesus... We want to help people understand what it looks like to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. In fact, it's what we would call the Great Commission. Before Jesus left the planet Earth, it was the last commandment that he gave to his disciples and to all of us that we would go out and we would find people who don't know him and we would bring them in and make them a part of the family. We'll talk more about that in just a second. In week one, we shared this scripture with you from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And, and we talked about how this early church, when it happened, when the church first formed, is probably the best picture of what this unstoppable force kind of looks like, this unstoppable momentum of the church. And it says in Acts 2, 42 to 47, 
all the believers. So by all, we mean like all of them. All. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, in the modern day context, who would be our apostles? Take a guess. It's not a trick question. Your pastors. Yeah, your pastors. All right. So, so that would, in, in fact, our church, if you came to Growth Track, some, you should. If you come to our 101, we talk through what our, our government model looks like. It's actually what we call an apostolic model. It's so, um, don't call me like Apostle Mike on the way out. I would not like that. That would be weird. All right. So, but in the modern day context of, of how we do church, that's, that's who this would be. All right. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So hanging out with each other, being friends, being family, and to sharing in meals. I just want to say, um, we've been getting a lot of meals delivered to our house because we have a newborn baby, and I like this. So, in fact, I might have more babies, just, just kidding. And to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Some, honestly, if I had one thing that it's kind of just clawing at my heart that I feel like we need to be stronger at in our church is prayer. We need to put more emphasis on praying and seeking the face of God and inviting Him to show up. All the stuff we do, all the work we do is great, but there's a saying that one of my, my mentors taught me that, that I just I cling to, and it's that we work like it depends on us, but we pray like it depends on God. And, uh, and I just think that's so important that, that we devote ourselves to prayer. Now check this out. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and all, there we see that word all again. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their, now a lot of us want to erase verse 45, but it's in there. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. Now we freak out about going to church once a week. These jokers were doing it every day. Met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And, and so that last line te- tells us that a healthy church ought to grow. Healthy, healthy churches ought to grow. Because the Lord should always be adding to our number every day. If we look anything like the early New Testament church. So, so here we have this small group of people this, that has gathered together. They basically done what all of us should do. It's a great place to start is with obedience. When you want the blessing of God, when you want the blessing of God in your life, in your church, in your business, whatever it is you do, obedience is always a great starting point to do whatever it is Jesus. So Jesus said to the early believers, hey, you guys get together, stay, pray, wait for the Holy Spirit to show up. He shows up in this incredible way and boom, this idea of the church is launched with 3,000 people on day one. That's a pretty good launch. That's a good launch service. All right, 3,000 people on the first day. And from there, this rel- in comparison to the world population, this relatively small group of people changes the course of history forever. This small group of people has global impact. And I think it's important that we understand today that even though we're, we're barely a year old, we, on a good Sunday, we've, you know, a big Sunday here is, is what we, we had a couple of weeks ago, which we're over 150 people that, that were in this room and, and, uh, and hanging out together. That, so that's a... That's a big Sunday for us, and that's great. And I, in fact, I talked to a lot of people that are like, you're only a year old, and you've had 150 people? That's amazing. And I'm like, yeah, it's, 
it's all right. But here's the thing in in our in our city, when we studied the demographics, when we studied the statistics, we found the the national average says that that right around nine point two percent of the American population is involved in a local church on a regular basis. So fewer than ten percent of our population in the United States of America is involved in a local church on a regular basis. Now they might go on Easter, Christmas, they might even call themselves Christian, but like actively involved and connected to the house and and doing something for God, fewer than ten percent. That's bad. That's not in case you're wondering, that's not good. All right. So when we when we looked at planning a church here, we wanted to know what the opportunity was here. And it's it's actually worse here. All right. So it's it's something more like eight percent. All right, so so 92% of the people that you see when you go to Walmart or Target or the mall or wherever it is you go, 92% of them aren't connected to anything like what you're getting to experience today. They're not going on a regular basis. They don't have someone that they can pick up the phone and say, my week is blowing up, it's going crazy, I want to I kill my kids, I want to kill my spouse, would you pray with me, would you help me? They don't have it. They go someplace else, they grab a drink or they grab a another habit to deal with their issues, and they don't experience the love and the presence of Jesus Christ. And so, how can we impact that? The opportunity is great. And so what I want you to understand is that the opportunity is huge, it's massive, and as as in awe as I am of what God has done here over the last year, I'm not even close, not even the tiniest bit close to feeling like we've accomplished anything. And I'm not saying that to depress you or demean anyone. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just saying 92% still aren't connected to anything like this. And there's lots of red fabric still visible in this room. And until that changes, we haven't accomplished anything. In fact, I, I, one of the pastors who I love to listen to, his name is Craig Rochelle, and he's easily become probably the most influential pastor in the United States of America. They, they had 72,000 people show up for Easter last year at campuses all over the country. That's, that's, a, that's a stadium full of people, all right, at campuses all over the country, 72,000 people. And he tells his staff, don't you ever call us a megachurch. Don't you ever use that word. Don't you ever own that identity. We haven't done anything yet. As long as there are still people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we've accomplished very little. And that's my heart this morning. Are you with me on that? All right. The early church was incredibly blessed. They had global impact. And I think there's some simple reasons why. They believed scripture was really, really, really important. Like they really believed studying scripture was important. And so they did. They studied it. But they didn't just go home and study it by themselves and read it on their own. They studied it together. As a body, as a family, they believed relationships were really important. So they did life together. They believed generosity was important. So they gave together. See, a lot of times I I think a lot of us think what we need to do is pray for the blessings of God in our life. And that's okay to ask God for blessing. There's nothing wrong with praying that prayer. But I think the mistake we make sometimes is we spend too much time praying for the blessings we want and not looking for a way to live our lives in a way that we found what God blesses. And there's a difference. And I want to live my life in a way that God has no choice but to bless me. And I want to lead a church that does life together and prays together and seeks the face of God together and studies scripture together and, so, and loves our community together. And so when God looks at us, he goes, I got to bless them. 
I got to do something. I got to help them. We'll talk about some more of that in a second. The early church was incredible. You could criticize them, but it wouldn't stop them. You could threaten them, but it would actually make them more passionate. You could persecute them, but they would just become more united and more together in their mission. You could even kill some of them, but all you would do is energize the ones who survived. The early church was incredible. I think there's a constant tension at work for any of us who love Jesus, who are part of this church or any church. There's a constant tension going on. There's a constant battle going on between the God who loves us and an enemy who hates us. And it's simply this. God wants us united. He wants us united. That's why we talked about the importance of being of one mind, one heart, one vision. Being on the same page about why we're here. To lead people to a relationship with Jesus Christ and to lead them to become fully devoted followers of Christ. It, like that's got to be just, it's got to be something that all of us understand that that's why we're, we, we've got to be united around that together. God wants us united, but Satan wants us divided. He wants us divided. He would much rather we bicker and fight over theological issues that at the end of the day make, have no bearing on whether or not we reach people who don't know Christ. And it actually makes me a little bit nauseous when I get around people who've succumbed to that mentality where they surround themselves with Christians and believers and they chatter opinions back and forth and try to figure out which one is the best Christian and which religious leaders are the most influential. And you know what I'm saying is who stinking cares? Who cares? Like like we have guys coming to our church who don't know if they're going to get a meal today. They don't know where they're going to live. How about we sit around and figure out how to solve that and not figure out who knows more about the Bible? Satan wants us divided. Division. It's when you take something that's one and make it two two visions instead of one vision, two visions, not one, multiples. Christians, I think, if you were to ask around the world, how many of us do you think that Christ followers and Christians are united around the world? I wish we were, but I don't think we are. I think we're actually pretty splintered. I think it probably breaks the heart of God to see that. We've made it about men, too. Can I just get on a soapbox for a second? Like, if you come to True Life Church, don't come because you like me or because you like Joel or any of the other lead team guys or because you like the guys on the stage playing in the band. Because I'm just going to tell you, we're all human, and I, I can 100% guarantee you that if you get your eyes on men, they will fail. Get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. That's why we didn't have you all gather in the parking lot this morning and wait for white or black smoke to come out of the roof before we decided if we would have church today. Because it's not about a man. It's about Jesus, the only one who has the power to forgive sins, the only one who has the power to change lives. Come on, are you with me this morning? I think if we were to have a modern-day translation of Acts 2.42, it would sound something like this. All the believers were divided. They didn't have much of anything in common. Hoarding their possessions and goods, they kept as much as they could for themselves. Every now and then, if it wasn't football season or they weren't too tired, they would come to church for an hour and leave early to beat traffic. They loved Jesus when it was convenient for them, yet they were despised by people for their hypocrisy, and very few people got saved. And I just, as sad as it is, 
I think that that is kind of how the world sees a lot of us. Now, it's not the truth. The enemy has distorted the picture of what following Jesus is and who we are and how much we love him and what it's really about, how flawed we all actually are. Enemy's done a great job of making it about us and not about Jesus Christ and his saving power. But the fact is we've got to deal with reality and we've got to figure out how to present Christ to a world that needs him in a bad way. Are you with me? Come on, are you with me? And here's what I think, if we had to sum up the problem in one sentence, here's what I think it is. Christianity, especially in our country, has become too much me and not enough we. It's become too much me and not enough we. We find ourselves saying things like, no church is really meeting my needs, so I just, I just won't go anywhere. We shop, like we're shopping for clothes. We shop for church experiences. And I, I think that some of that's okay. Like you need to find a church home that feels right and comfortable for you. A lot of you are here because you couldn't find that anywhere else and here it clicked and it worked. And I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm just saying once it clicks, it's time to turn off that consumer mentality because the church is not here for us. We are the church and we're here for the world. Do you see the difference? Come on, do you see the difference? The church is, so, so we all came in today with one of two mentalities. On the one hand, we came in thinking, church is for me. Let's see what I get out of it today. And you'll get some stuff out of it for a while until the new wears off, just like a new car. Once the smell goes away, you start eating French fries in there again. But the healthy mentality is those of us who came into church today going, I am the church. I'm a part of something unstoppable. I'm a part of something global. And we exist for the world. There's a difference. There's a difference. We value church membership here. It is important. But I've toyed with the idea. Some of you are going to freak out when I say this. I've toyed with the idea of changing the, the, the verbiage or the wording that we use to describe church membership here. Because I actually don't even like the word member. It describes some sort of like. Like when I hear the word member, I think of like a club or some sort of special organization that I get to be a part of. Or almost, I think sometimes it has almost like an elitist mindset that comes with it. And I'm not interested in having that kind of culture here. What I've thought about maybe we should do is instead of calling it membership, we should call it partnership. And so I've decided, and so, so I love this church. I love the vision. Yes, sign me up. I want to partner with you in the mission of reaching people for Jesus Christ and helping them to become fully devoted followers of Christ. I want to be a partner in that. And I know a lot of us have that mentality already. That's how we, that's how, that's why you show up and serve and do so many of the things you do. But I, I just think it, I think there's a shift that needs to happen in the way we think about membership in the local church and and I'm not as interested in people who want to be a part of some sort of special club. I'm, I'm very interested in people who want to be partners with us. You can amen that nice and loud. I would like that. Amen. All right. So, so what would that look like? If I were going to be a partner at True Life Church, if I were going to be a partner in this thing with everybody else who's here, what would, I, what would that look like? What would I do? What would I be doing? Well, I want to give you five things, five things that a partner does that True Life Church, that five things that we agree to as partners. Are you interested in knowing that? Okay, here we go. Number one, we agree to do anything short of sin to reach people without Jesus. 
We agree to do anything short of sin to reach people without Jesus. And that comes from this mentality that the church doesn't exist for us. We're the church and we exist for the world. I love the way Paul said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I'm giving you a couple pieces of scripture here. Verse 19 and the second half of verse 22. He said, though I'm free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone. To win as many as possible. I've become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. He goes on to talk about how when he's with Jews, he would try to connect with their Jewish side. And when he was with Gentiles, he would become, he'd, he'd kind of let himself behave a little bit more like a Gentile. Now, so, so what I'm saying to you is, if it's not sin and it might win people to Jesus, I'm pretty much willing to try it. I was talking with a gentleman a couple weeks ago. It was his very first Sunday here out front. And I was just getting to know a guy. And, and uh, he said to me, he said, I, I, I'm actually looking forward to the, the warmer weather. And I, like, I, I feel like I can come back here. Cause I was really worried. I was, when I was getting dressed this morning, I wanted to make sure that I covered up all of my tattoos. Because I, I've never been in a church where I felt like I could show up and have tattoos. And so on the outside, I'm like, oh, yeah, man, you're welcome here. Just the way you are. In fact, I said to him, I said, if I thought it would reach people and help us win more people to Jesus, I'd give away free tattoos every Sunday. Like I'd put a guy in the back with his little, I don't know if that's sanitary or not, but I would, I would try it. If it's not sin, baby, I would try it. On the inside, I was mad. And I just thought, seriously, seriously, you've never, you've ne- seriously. You've never felt comfortable. Now that's not, he probably just hadn't, there's tons of great churches in our area, okay? We're, we're not better than anyone. We haven't found some secret sauce that makes us better. And, and none of, and we might be better for you. Might be the best fit for you. But, but I just want to caution you about ever comparing churches to each other and talking bad about one ministry or elevating one over another because they all belong to Jesus. And anytime you insult what belongs to Jesus, you're on slippery ground. Just don't do it. Just don't. It's not worth it. So I told him, man, of course you're welcome here with, with your tattoos. I, I said, we got a worship leader on stage that just got new tattoos not that long ago. We don't care. I mean, we would care if they were inappropriate. You couldn't show that on stage, but don't do that, Dan. Nothing inappropriate. All right. If we're going to err, we're going to err on the side of being aggressive to reach lost people. Are you with me? If we're going to make a mistake, we're going to make a mistake being aggressive to reach lost people. I'll try anything. I'll try. Why do you think we give away iPads? And in the summer when it warms up, we'll surprise you one Sunday. There will be an ice cream truck that pulls up to the curb after service. And we'll just give away ice cream for an hour just for fun. You say, well, what's the spiritual there's nothing spiritual about it. We just want people to like coming here. All right? That's it. There's not something deep. All right? It's because we just, we'll do anything. We will do anything. I hired a girl to come take pictures of our launch service. Her name was Verna. Because she took some pictures of us when she worked at JCPenney as a photographer for our website and our fundraising stuff when we were trying to launch the church. And we told her what we were doing. And she seemed kind of interested, said that they'd had a hard time finding a church whenever they moved here from California. 
but we could never get, I could never get him to come to a meeting. I could never get him to come hang out with us. And so finally I Facebooked her. I said, if I pay you to come take pictures of our launch service, will you do it? She said, absolutely. I'm trying to start my own photography business. We were her first client. She came and took pictures. Her family has barely missed a Sunday since then. Her husband serves on our setup crew. He fixes computers. He hangs pipe and drape. I'll do anything. If you know somebody who just needs 10 bucks, I'll give you 10 bucks. You make them come to church with you. We'll do anything that's not sin. (laughs) To reach people. Some of you are like, I'm not coming back unless you give me $10. (laughs) Number two, we agree to accomplish more with less. We agree to accomplish more with less. Matthew 25, 23 says, The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. One of the questions people ask a lot, especially in our growth track classes, is they'll They'll say things like, well, how, how long do you want to be renting a movie theater? How long do you want to be portable or, 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 or loading things in and out of a trailer? And while I agree, there are some pieces to that that are not a lot of fun. And, and um, we, we have to do quite a bit of, of sleight of hand with pipe and drape and different things and keeping it dark in the right places to, to make, make the building feel warm and welcome. I don't view being portable as a weakness. We actually embrace it as a strength. Because for us to pull off what we pull off in this building on a Sunday morning, to do it anywhere else, a building that was ours and that we had every single week, would cost us, especially in this location on Main Street, it, it would probably cost us eight, nine, ten, maybe as much as $12,000 a month. You know what we spend on rent? $700 a week. And we have this brotherhood of guys who actually like coming and hanging out with each other and setting all this stuff up. There's actually relationships that have formed that wouldn't have formed because people serve. So we don't view this as a weakness. Now, are there some things we wish we could maybe be a little bit different? Could there be a, a bigger space for kids and all those things? Yes, but we believe if we're faithful with what we have and we pursue it with excellence with what we have and we treat it well and we're thankful for it and we don't complain about it, when the time is right, God will bless us with the next thing that we need. Man, y'all should be clapping more for that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You bunch of puppets. All right. <laughs> you said clap. I'm clapping. I don't want him angry. So we embrace it. We embrace being portable. It's cheap. Here's another thing about it. We've actually, because we've learned how to do church cheaply, it's, it's something we can reproduce. So you know how like you don't have to drive all the way to the next town to find a McDonald's because there's probably one close to you because they're everywhere. What if, I'm just saying, what if instead of growing someday and spending $200 million on an arena that you can fit 5,000 people into to have church, what if you took advantage of the fact that you can do smaller venues cheaply and instead of making people drive as far to get to you, like, like what if instead of driving all the way from Rising Sun to get to Main Street on Newark, you could just drive to your local True Life Church campus and have church there. There'd be a live band and there'd be childcare, and then 
Maybe there'd be a big video screen where you could watch the message live from, from wherever we end up on this side. So, so I'm just saying, like, we're not, I don't know how that's all going to play out. I don't know what that's going to look like. All I know is that we're not going to embrace this traditional idea that we got to go build some big building somewhere and, and, and try to get everybody crammed in there. And then we finally settle in and we're good and we've arrived. Absolutely not. We're going to think creatively. We're going to leverage whatever it is we can get our hands on. And we're going to use the mess out of it. And we're going to do it with excellence. And we're going to go everywhere. We agree to do more with less. God has honored this approach, I think, already. I believe even with our lead team and the people who serve here. And you guys need to know there's some guys who serve. Basically, they're, they're basically pastors in our church, even though they're not paid staff. We don't have offices where we meet on a weekly basis. You guys who are here, stand up. Brian, Joel, you guys, you two stand up real quick so people can see. Brian and Joel, are, they're pastors in our church. Brian directs our small groups. Joel's on the teaching team with me. He's got a, he's handling all of our outreach to college students. And uh, Alex, he's not here today, but they're part of that as well. And, uh, and then we have some lead team members like Jessica and Kevin and, and Kristen, who's over there serving our kids today. And here's the really cool thing that I think these people have done something out of the goodness of their hearts because they love the vision and they love what we're doing here. But I actually think God has blessed our mentality and sent us people who are able to do this. So, so check it out. Most of them, even though they have like regular jobs and stuff, will meet with us at 10 o'clock tomorrow in a lead, like a regular staff meeting where we'll talk about what's going on in the church. We'll, we'll divvy up responsibilities. We'll talk about any challenges that we're facing and issues that we're trying to overcome. And we, we basically have a pastoral staff in a church that's less than, that's just a little over a year old. Why? Why, why did that happen? I believe God has honored our attitude of doing less with more. And so he said, okay, I'm going to send you people who have the capacity to serve and lead. Even when you can't afford them, I'm going to make a way for them to be able to be there and serve the way they serve. That's an incredible thing. That's a miracle. Do you guys realize that's a miracle? That's a miracle in there, Brian. <laughs> right answer. You could have answered it wrong because technically I can't fire you because you don't get paid, but. These people give considerable time to our ministry. They're passionate about it. And God is, I believe God has sent us those kind of people because of our mentality that we'll do more with less. Some things you should know about our church. If you give here, if you give in the offering, we have a goal. In fact, we will not hire another full-time staff member until we can do it and keep all of our salaries under 30% of the church's total income. So we're a little bit above that yet because you have right now because you have to be when you're a new church and for me to get full time and 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 I'm I'm kind of expensive. I'm just kidding. I'm not. I'm not. All right. I'm well below the median income, all right, for for pastors in our area. You can go do I'll tell you what I make. You can go do the homework. I'm well below. I drive a 12-year-old car with a dent in the bumper, all right? And I'll drive it till the wheels fall off. I'm a normal guy, all right? But I'm the only full-time paid staff, and we will not add another full-time paid staff member until we can do that and keep total salaries under 30% of our church's total income. Now, if you were to study other churches, that's actually really aggressive. Most churches spend more like 50 to 60% on their pastoral salaries. 
we'll keep it at 30 because we want to spend 60% on ministry and serving our community and reaching lost people and making Sunday better and making kids' church better. That's where we want to spend our money. So we're going to keep it under 30. I have a friend in Washington, D.C. They have several staff members. Their church is growing leaps and bounds. They've got, they've got theirs under 23%, 23% on staff salaries. And we're high-fiving each other because that we know we're freeing up dollars to go to the things that it should go to, and that's reaching lost people. Our budget for 2013, I'm just telling you some stuff that you should know if you come here, if you want to be a partner here. Our budget for 2013, we're going to meet with our trustees in a couple of weeks and finalize all of this, but we base the entire budget on 90% of last year's income. We don't base it on 100, we base it on 90. Why? There's instant margin there. There's instant savings there. We're trying to be good stewards so that when we look into the future at what God has next for us, when it is time to get into a different building or when it is time to launch a campus somewhere, we actually have money in the bank and we don't have to go borrow and have loans and get indebted and become slaves to banks and credit unions. We're not ever going to be that way as a church because we're going to be good stewards and we agree to do more with less. More with less. Lastly, we have to do it that way, because if I'm honest, our giving kind of (laughs) stinks. Now, before you get all offended by that, let me say this. We, We have a lot of people who are new believers. They're new to serving Jesus. We have a lot of people who are college students, so their income isn't that high. But if you were to look at the percentage of people who give regularly, who tithe and give of their finances regularly in our church, it's, it's not a, a very healthy percentage. Like, you want to be somewhere in the 30% to 40% range. You want 30 to 40% of your congregation to give regularly. We're, we're not even close to that. <laughs> I mean, we really have like a handful of families that swing for the fence. And if they weren't here, we'd be in big trouble. So y'all should thank God for them every day because they make this ministry possible. They make it happen. All right. Yes, that's a good place to make some noise. But let me just say to you, if you've never tested God by giving and being generous, I would encourage you to try it. Just see what he does for you. See what he does for your family. You say, I only make like $200 a week. So try, try giving God $20 a week and just, just see what happens. If he doesn't do anything in your life, I'll give the money back to you. I, I will. I'll give it back to you. And let me just help you with one other mentality that we have. People think, I don't want to give to the church because how will I know what they're going to do with it and how they're going to spend it? Are they going to, what if the pastor steals it? So, first of all, there's not enough to steal, all right? Second of all, you could get with any one of our trustees anytime you want and and talk. They'll come get all of the records from, we have a third-party accountant who does our books every single month. We don't get audited every year. We use a third-party accountant who keeps our books every month. And we don't have anything to hide. So you can come ask anytime you want, anything you want. We'll tell you what we're spending the money on, all right? Who wants to go have lunch with me today? I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm right. Do more with less. All right, number three, we agree to accomplish more together than alone. We don't do life alone at True Life Church. In fact, if you're doing life alone, you won't last here. You'll feel disconnected and like nobody cares about you. And and they do. They actually do. We actually want to have relationship with each other that's why we have small groups meeting all over the area, all over the region all throughout the week lots of different ones if you're a college student and you haven't been to theology and waffles yet on friday mornings you need to go hang with that crew if you're a teenager you're a student and you haven't been to the uprising yet on a monday night 
You need to, Liz leads all of them. So, so you need to, if you need to know about a small group, talk to Liz. No. If you haven't been to game night yet on a Friday night with Kevin and Jeff Brownlee, you need to go hang out with that. Guys, if you're kind of shy and timid and you don't know how to stick up for yourself, you need to go to MMA and whoop some behind, all right? So just, just all right, relate. we, we got to accomplish more together than alone. My heart leapt this last week when the leader of our, one of our ladies' small groups called Knit Together, where they actually knit together, all right? All right told me that their group is going to be taking time on a regular basis and going out to A.I. DuPont Hospital and spending time with the kids and just loving on kids who are there and families who are going through hard times. Come on, that's what the local church ought to be doing. It's good stuff. We accomplish more together than alone. What we're doing is not just about true life. It's about this unstoppable global movement that we're a part of. We're called to partner with organizations like Hope Coffee. When you drink our coffee, please drink lots of it so I have to order more because that builds churches and houses and feeds people in Honduras. And, and we want to give to those things. We, we give to, to places like Life Church in, in Philly. And, and trustees, I'm going to ask you guys to help me with that. I want to give them like a lot of money, all right? So I want us to figure out a way to give them a lot of money. A lot. Like a, a lot for us is like $1,000, okay? But... but we had a church give us 10000 when we started. We're not there yet. <laughs> That's like a monthly budget for us. But I'd like to give them like a lot, all right? We want to give them a lot. No pressure. That's why we give to organizations like A21 that's rescuing girls from the sex trafficking industry all over the world. That's, that's, that's why with our, our partnership with Celebration Church, we're helping to feed AIDS orphans in Zimbabwe, 25,000 orphans a day through Celebration Church and their partnership with a, a church in Zimbabwe. We, we give to that. That's why we're helping to plant other new churches through the ark. We, we tithe. Just like we ask you to tithe, we actually tithe as a church. 10% of everything that you give, we give it away to help plant other churches. We, it, just, it goes in and right back out. We, we tithe as a church, just like we ask you to. We do more together than alone. It wasn't... It's been almost a year since Joel and Janelle... Mears came and visited our church on Easter Sunday last year and got chased in the parking lot by my wife. Because I just saw this young couple and I didn't know if anybody said hi to him. And so I sicked my wife on him. Get him, honey. <laughs> I was talking to other people and I couldn't. I was like, hey, get them. And we found out that Joel and Janelle had planted a local church called The Connection right here on Main Street. And they were struggling to figure out how to get that thing working and going. And they came here and loved what we were doing. And we started having conversations. And we found out it made more sense for us to do it together than to do it separate, than to do it alone. And I've told you before that I feel like that's a scenario that will probably happen again. Maybe two or three more times. In fact, most of our lead team, we have as a result of, can I say swallowing up? Is that offensive? Swallowing up the connection. But it's just, it's been a huge win for our church. Great families, because it made more sense to do it together than to do it alone. Had a conversation this week with a future church planner down in Tampa, Florida. And all of the things that we've experienced over this last year, we're now able to take those experiences and the lessons we've learned. And, and, and I get to coach now some other guys who are about to do the same thing. And so I had lots of, don't do this, that didn't work. <laughs> don't do this. That didn't work. I had like two things that I was like, yeah, that worked. <laughs> Do that. Have a Kevin on your team. That's what I tell everybody. You just need a Kevin. 
All right. Acts 4.34 says that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, we do buckets because that's weird. I don't want you to put anything at anybody's feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. It just makes more sense. We want to do more together than alone. Number four, we agreed to embrace mega vision. We agree to embrace mega big time vision. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I already I got ahead of myself talking about having campuses and the fact that a church of 150 people is great, but that's not even we're not even getting started. We're not even we're not even close. In fact, I can see it just in the leadership lid of the leaders that God has placed in our church. The capacity that these guys have to lead exceeds our numbers like by by a ton, by a ton. And I'm thankful for them. Some, someone said to me, well, I'm quoting Rick Warren here, all right? Anybody know who Rick Warren is, Purpose Driven Life? All right, great pastor out in California. Um, again, I'm not going to debate with you on theology because there's a hundred different guys who are influential and all of them have nuances to their theology, so save it. I don't really care, all right? But I heard him say something one time that I thought was awesome, really great. And he said, I, I was talking to a pastor one time because Rick Warren, they keep track of numbers. They count how many people come to everything, their church, their small groups, their discipleship classes, their membership, they, they, they keep track of everything. And some, he said, this pastor was talking to me, and he said it like he was proud of it. He says, yeah, well, we, we don't count people in our church. We're not interested in numbers. We're not just about the numbers, so we don't really count people. And Rick Horn looked at him, he said, you count the offering? And the guy said, well, yeah, we count the offering. We have to count the offering. He said, so money's more important to you than souls. The guy says, no, no. He said, yes, it is. If you count the offering and you don't count the people, money's more important to you than souls because every number represents a soul. Every number, every body in a seat in this room represents a soul that would be headed either to heaven or to hell based on their relationship with Jesus Christ. So we want big numbers because we embrace mega vision. Are you with me? Are we tracking? All right? Because we don't want hell to get bigger. We want heaven to get bigger. And how do you know? How do you know if you're doing what you set out to do if you don't measure it? How do you know? You've got to measure it. So we, we agree to embrace megavision. In fact, people who have this mentality, somebody, I've had people say to me before, aren't you just a little bit too into numbers? Well, first of all, I don't talk about numbers that much. Every Monday I do. But I don't talk about it that much. All right? And secondly, no, I don't think I am too into numbers. And, and people say, well, I don't think God's into numbers. And I say, yes, he is. In fact, he's so into numbers he wrote a whole book about it. It's called Numbers. <laughs> and the whole book is about counting numbers of people. And who was in what tribe and who was doing what. And so some numbers matter. So you got counted today. Ooh, you got counted. And we want it bigger than whatever it is today. I don't know what it is today, but I get, we will always, it'll never be enough. We'll always want it bigger because we embrace mega vision. Numbers represent souls. Numbers matter to God. And there's no such thing as a church that's too big. You hear me? There's no such thing as a church that's too big. In fact, one of the most selfish, self-centered things that someone could say is that I don't want to be in this church. It's just too big. No, you just may not have clicked or found some relationships that work for you. But it's one of the reasons why we do small groups. It's the constant tension that we have to have in our church. Because if we're reaching lost people, we have to grow. It has to happen. It has to happen. 
but we also want people to have authentic, life-giving relationships with each other. And so we've got to grow larger and smaller at the same time. Are, you with, are we tracking on that? That's why it's so important that you get into groups and you get into serving teams and you build relationships with each other because as the church grows and expands around you, for you, it can still feel like family and it can still feel small. I'm telling you, it works. I've been a part of it. I've been there. I've seen it. I'm not crazy. And so we've got to be okay with that. We've got to be willing to embrace mega vision because it's got to be big. No such thing as a church too big. Mark 16, 15 said, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, that's the Great Commission. How do you know if you're reaching all if you don't keep track of how many you've talked to? You have to. You have to. I want to show you this graphic up here. This is the world's population, and it's projected all the way up into 2075, but it goes all the way back to 4,000 B.C., 4,000 years before Jesus. So check it out. Look how flat this thing stays through all of these years. And then somewhere right over here in this area, David and Julie Austin get married. <laughs> and whew. I'm kidding. No, look, look, look what's happening during our lifetime. During our time on planet Earth. The opportunity is greater than it's, the need is greater than it's ever been. And what's different about our time and our era that we live in. We have access to tools to share media and information like never before. So, so 20 years ago, you couldn't have a church that met in multiple locations and we're all on the same page. You can now. 20 years ago, I couldn't told you to look at the notes on your phone and you still have access to them throughout the week and you can. So God is, he's allowing us to have the tools and we've got, the need is great and it's getting greater. 9.2 billion by 2075. I won't probably be here still but but maybe probably not but the need is not it's not disappearing it's not growing away we've got to embrace mega vision and the band's going to come up as we close number five we agree that we will make a difference we will make a difference because we have to we have to there's no cho- as long as people, as long as the possibility exists of someone dying without the knowledge of Jesus Christ, we've got to keep working. We've got to keep serving. We've got to keep giving. We've got to keep loving people. We've got to go at it with all of our hearts, and we've got to make a difference. And if you'll agree to these things with me, if we become partners in the mission and partners in the vision, I'm telling you, you and I will make a huge difference. Do you want to be a part of that? Do you want to be a part of that? Ephesians 3, 20, 21 says, Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I want you to close your eyes before you, you've got a little checkbox there on your notes. And I don't want you to, if you already checked it, that's fine. But I just want you to close your eyes for a second first. Because I'm asking you today, will you become a partner with us? Will you partner in the mission with True Life Church? And before you say yes, because it's easy to be fired up and say yes on a Sunday morning. Before you say yes, I just want you to know, like it'll cost you something. It will cost you something.
It, it cost most of the apostles and disciples their lives to build the local church. I don't, I don't necessarily think it will cost you that in today's world and culture. But we've got to go beyond just being Sunday Christians. We've got to, we've got to be connected to the mission and the heart of God and be willing to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. So proud of so many people in our church who are They've embraced that mission. They've embraced that vision even in their own lives. We've got tons of business people who take their their ministry with them into the marketplace. We've got, I just found out about another new business starting in our church this last week. I'm excited about that because the world needs to see the love of Christ on display in those venues, in those areas. So now would you just take a moment and, and just, just and you don't, you're not going to give it to us. We're not going to keep record of it. If you're on version, we'll see it and that'll be great. But just check yes or no for your own, just for you. Yes, I'm in. I'm a partner. No, not, not yet. Not today. Either one's fine. Either one's okay. But I want you to, I want you to have skin in the game. The opposite of making a difference is indifference. There was actually a church, there were seven churches that Jesus talked to in the book of Revelation, and one of them had a problem with indifference. And just kind of being too me and not enough we. And Jesus had this to say to him in Revelation 3.16. He said, I know all the things you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. And I wish you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Now, I know that sounds harsh, but let me tell you what Jesus is actually saying here. He's saying, if you were cold, if you were away from God, at least I could draw you to me. If you were red hot, at least I'm using you and I'm doing something with your life. But you've become so complacent, you've become so settled, you've become so meistic. That you're lukewarm and you come to church and I know you, you read your Bible maybe every once in a while and you kind of believe all this stuff, but, but I can't do anything with you. I can't do anything with you. You've become almost useless to the kingdom because it's too much me, not enough we. And so what I'm calling you to this morning, church, is let's be red hot. Let's be red hot for the mission and the vision that Jesus Christ has given us. Let's go after our city. Let's go after our families. Let's go after our workplaces with more fervor and more passion and more desire and more commitment than we've ever given it before. Let's put the love of Jesus on display. Let's be partners together. We can make a difference.